Welcome to the official podcast of the University of California, Riverside School of Public Policy. I'm your host, Maddie Bunting. Through this podcast series, I will be talking with various voices in the public policy world about today's pressing societal issues. Join me to learn about potential solutions and interventions for today's biggest policy challenges, be they about health, the economy, the environment, or other societal problems impacting families in your community or the international community. On this episode of the podcast, Associate Dean of the UCR School of Public Policy, Kurt Schwabe, is joined by Brad Coffey. Mr. Coffey earned an engineering degree at Virginia Tech, a master's in public administration at USC, and is a registered professional engineer in California. Mr. Coffey leads the water management group at Metropolitan Water District of Southern California. Would you mind telling us a bit about Metropolitan Water District of Southern California? Sure. Metropolitan Water District of Southern California, we're a regional water supplier for the region. We serve a six-county area, 5,200 square miles, and about half the water to 19 million people. Uh, We've been around since 1928, and we import uh, and deliver water from the Colorado River and from Northern California through the California State Water Project. The, the mission of your, of your agency is, is to provide its service area with adequate and reliable supplies of high quality water to meet present and future needs in an environmentally and economically responsible way. And kind of with that in mind, um, are there concerns um, your, your um, residents should have Uh, regarding the quality of your water uh, during this time of crisis? Thanks, Kurt. Yeah, I I would say that your drinking water is heavily protected uh, against many things, including the virus which causes COVID-19. They don't necessarily have to be concerned about um, getting uh, the virus through their drinking water. Yeah, now I could just tell you that your water is safe and move on, uh, but I think it's important uh, to expand on why. So, Let me talk about three things. One is the nature of the disease, COVID-19. One is the nature of the virus itself, and then the nature of our infrastructure. So it's basically a respiratory disease. And Mm -hmm. so despite the rush to buy toilet paper, um, there's uh, there's not widespread diarrheal illness caused by this disease. Mm -hmm. Massive cases of diarrhea would be a prime indicator that it's a waterborne disease. Um, Think of cholera, for example. Um, With cholera, you can die in just a few hours to days from dehydration. Um, And that diarrhea that you get um, contains billions of bacteria, which then contaminates other water. So now there's a few people um, who do report diarrhea from COVID-19, but just a few. Um, Mm -hmm. The virus has been detected in human waste and feces, but its occurrence is is low and no viable coronavirus has yet been found in in treated sewage. So that's about the nature of the the disease. Now, the virus is is an encapsulated virus. Um, That is, it's it's covered with an envelope. Uh, This envelope is made of, of fats and So think of fats. When we wash your dishes at home, you add soap to warm water and that soap breaks down the fats. Um, And that's why washing your hands with soap makes such a difference in fighting this pandemic. 
it's doing much more than just washing away the virus. It's tearing its envelope into little pieces like junk mail. Mm -hmm. Um, And this same nature of the envelope is what will make the virus susceptible to chemicals that we add in the drinking water, such as ozone or chlorine or chloramines that destroy the virus's ability to further infect people. Um, But uh, the third thing, we talked about the nature of the disease itself, that's respiratory, the nature of the virus and, mm-hmm. and how this encapsulated virus can be susceptible to the chemicals we use in water treatment. Now, I want to talk about the nature of our infrastructure. So since the early 1900s, the sanitary revolution has led to the construction of sewage collection systems and sewage treatment plants and water treatment and water distribution systems. And these all led to a dramatic decline in waterborne diseases. Um, For example, the incident of typhoid fever dropped more than 100 fold from 1900 to 1960. So we've made great strides in public health protection. Uh, When I was first hired by Metropolitan in 1990, that's 30 years ago now, my job was to prepare us for a new set of rules coming down from the US Environmental Protection Agency. And these rules set in place new procedures for physically removing and chemically disinfecting Giardia and viruses in surface water. And the virus at that time we were focused on was hepatitis A, which is a food and waterborne version of hepatitis. And these rules required that we have multiple barriers in place to um, in between the rivers and the tap. Uh, And Mm -hmm. those rules required that we removed or disinfected at least 99.99% of viruses like hepatitis A from the drinking water supply. And by the way, the scientists' current understanding of the coronavirus is that it's easier to disinfect than hepatitis A. So Mm -hmm. thus, these multiple barriers of water treatment um, in combination with efficient sewage collection and treatment means that tap water that's well-operated um, is, uh, is safe. So thanks very much for going into that, uh, Great. that detail. Great. Um, you did bring up the idea of, of reliability, though. And mm-hmm. um, so, you know, if, if, the, if the water is safe, is there anything about the reliability of the water coming into our tap or being available to us um, in our households and such? What are the concerns there, if any? Yeah, I, that's a great question, Kurt. I, and I would sum it up as this way that the water is safe as long as our workers are safe. So the last time I spoke in public was uh, on Thursday, March 12th. And I was speaking before the city of Beverly Hills Public Works Commission. Now, that seems like a lifetime ago now, but public gatherings were just beginning to shut down. So that was on Thursday. By the next Tuesday, All 65 employees um, who I lead in water resource management were working from home and no longer coming into our offices in downtown Los Angeles. Now, the tasks uh, that our uh, water resource management employees perform are amenable, that we do planning, policy analysis, run water efficiency programs and plan for, for droughts and moving water around. And that allows us to perform those tasks remotely. But our operations staff is very different, and uh, we uh, we have to uh, come in. We have to touch the, the 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 knobs that are controlling the water treatment process. We have to lift things together to repair broken equipment, 
And so we're doing that through social distancing wherever possible. We've broken our operations teams into what we're calling micro teams, where the same people every day work together in small teams to minimize the potential to cross-contaminate a larger group of employees. And we're doing deep cleaning in our facilities. Um, we're uh, providing personal protective equipment. Uh, so we're doing everything we can to keep our workers safe. Now, I will also say that the listeners have a role in this too, um, is that by staying at home, by washing your hands, by following all of the guidance of the public health agencies, you're helping us keep our workers safe so that we can bring you safe water. That's a good point, right? Uh, putting less uh, pressure on the system through, you know, just everyone playing a part in this, uh, which is really important to keep in mind. Um, so as I understand it, you're quite a large agency and uh, are there concerns regarding, I mean, it seems like you have the ability to uh, do this with your operations staff and such. Are there concerns about maybe smaller agencies uh, having the workforce, having the redundancy in their staff to be able to do something like this? And is the state responding? Maybe this isn't necessarily something that you've been uh, focusing on right now. Well, yeah, you're right. We, we do have uh, kind of the benefit of being a large agency. Um, and uh, we, have, um, we, we have some backup uh, to this. Now, uh, let me go through again, maybe some logic of this and uh, mm -hmm. then the listeners can, can, can think of it because this is not just unique to metropolitan. So I always okay. think of California as having four seasons, fire, flood, earthquake, and drought. <laughs> and California's water utilities have emerged from each of these seasons year and year over stronger and more capable than ever. We've prepared for and fought against these forces of nature um, as a result, most water systems have sufficient technical, managerial, and financial capacity to survive these difficult seasons. Now, I guess we now have to add a fifth season to the list that's pandemic. But when mm. um, MERS and SARS, two other viruses, emerged more than a decade ago, um, our agency and many others developed pandemic action plans where we thought a lot about these types of things that we and the things that we need to do to get through high level of absenteeism due to illness. Now, I have to be honest with you that um, shutting down the, the entire nation's economy and these draconian stay-at-home orders, those weren't in our playbook. So, so this is different and we're having to adapt. But mm -hmm. fundamentally, uh, Metropolitan and, and many water utilities know how to operate with very lean staffing levels. So that's really positive. Um, so... Most immediately, that keeping our critical operations staff healthy is, is probably ever every water utility's prime goal. Um, and, but many smaller utilities already operate with really thin staffing, and that's their concern as well. Um, in our region, Metropolitan can help uh, because we s serve as like a co-supplier to many cities and, and, and agencies. So we're here and available if an agency in our service area wants to use the purchased water from Metropolitan rather than running their own water treatment uh, plants, uh, running their own wells. We're, we're here for them. 
So that make or buy decision about what they do with their local supplies may actually reduce their staffing risks uh, by being able to um, depend on Metropolitan. That's great. That's uh, really um, comforting to hear. So, so, so far we've learned that uh, to some extent, the, the water certainly is safe from COVID or drinking water. Um, it's reliable in a sense that uh, you've had these, these playbooks uh, that are, are being employed now uh, to make sure that uh, the workers are safe, you're taking care of uh, as much as you can, safety issues regarding your own operations. Um, what about um, in terms of moving uh, to the issue of affordability? And I, and I want to approach it from two ways. Um, there are more people staying at home, and um, uh, and in that sense, um, you know, probably maybe using more indoor water uh, use than they typically use, or maybe less. Um, but because of the economy, um, there are people that don't necessarily have the financial means to pay bills and things like that. So on one one level, I think about afford affordability from the household's level. On the other end, I feel about in terms of people paying bills, um, you may get less revenues. Is that a concern in terms of uh, your operations and such? But let's deal with the households first in terms of their ability to afford water during these times. Um, sure. Um... You know, almost daily, Kurt, I've been getting notices from uh, my utilities and service providers about their flexibility in helping us through this crisis. My cell phone company, my internet provider, my car insurance, my electricity provider, and my local water utility have all reached out to me or posted on their internet their willingness to help and to understand that I may have just lost my job um, and that my ability to pay my monthly bills on time is threatened. In fact, my son was laid off from his job. So I know the economic hardships that many are experiencing. Um, and I'm a student, too, who was thrown out of the live classroom mm -hmm. mid-semester. So I know the disruption felt by many families. Um, by the end of March, more than 100 public and private water systems in the state had already voluntarily agreed to continue to provide water service if the customer couldn't pay their bill. But on April 2nd, Governor Newsom issued a new executive order, which in fact prohibited any water system in the state from shutting off service for non-payment. So no listener needs to be concerned that if they can't pay this immediate bill, that their water will be shut off. And this helps ratepayers and customers, but it does create financial losses for water utilities, at least in the short term. Now, nothing in the governor's executive order relieves a customer from ultimately paying what they owe. But for now, they don't have to pay their bill in full um, every month. In the longer term, shutting down our economy presents a huge challenge to all of us. Remember that a sustainable water supply is critical to a growing economy. But the reverse is also true. A shrinking economy can threaten a sustainable water supply. Without employed ratepayers in a growing tax base, it becomes more difficult for water utilities to maintain needed investments in reliability and public health protection. These are the investments that brought our region so much growth and prosperity over the last 100 years. So I would offer to your listeners that local water suppliers feel your pain, want to help you through this, and are doing everything they can to do so. But also we need to remember that there's a vital public health mission that's being provided. Um, and it's just um, short-sighted if we uh, disinvest in all of the, the, the gains that we've gotten through our, 
our safe water supply over the decades. I, I did want to follow up, though, with regards to you know, the agencies then. If, if, um, if they're not getting revenues, does that affect their ability to provide water in the short run and or uh, the rate at which they can provide it in the long run? Do they have a reserves to, to help cover their own operating expenses? Uh, most larger utilities certainly have uh, reserves. The Metropolitan Water District has a reserve. My local provider has a reserve. And uh, remember the, the, the four seasons that um, California water agencies and California goes through the flood, fire, earthquake, and drought. Um, we've needed to use those mm-hmm. reserves in each of those mm-hmm. um, events whether it's a wildfire that's raging out of the hills or uh, the Northridge earthquake. Um, So in some ways where we're at is very unique and very severe. Um, In other ways, it's something we've seen before. So I think you'll find um, that we do have short-term pain, uh, but that it's pain. uh, It's not fatal. And the water industry um, will get through this uh, and will maintain service uh, for the customers. But yeah, reserves will dip. Um, uh, We will have to to figure out how to do this. But our view of this, I'll speak for my view of this. My view of this is the water that we provide is, is uh, is one of the most essential ingredients in hand washing. And hand washing is one of the main things that we can do to fight this uh, virus. So it would be unconscionable for us to turn off a tap, uh, shut someone off that, so, and they couldn't have water to wash their hands. That just won't happen. It's a great point. Um, so if I summarize then, it seems like, you know, kind of the trifecta here, we've got uh, safe drinking water that we don't necessarily have to worry about with regards to uh, COVID-19. Uh, we have reliable uh, drinking water with the practices the agencies are engaged in employing. Uh, and at least right now, we still have affordable water, even for those um, customers and, and, and Californians that are going through economic hardships in the sense that through the governor's order and many of the voluntary orders uh, enacted by agencies themselves, um, your water will not be shut off if you don't pay right. your water bill. Um, does that seem to summarize yeah, it pretty well? I think you've got it. Great. So one of the things I wanted, to, uh, a few uh, kind of off-topic things then, is what's this issue with sanitary wipes? You know, what's your comment? I, I've heard that uh, people are obviously are using these to um, uh, to, to uh, kill the bacteria and, the, and potentially the virus that, that's on their hands and such, uh, but they're throwing them, I think, in their toilets often. What's what's the concern with doing that? Right. Well, if, if you or your listeners have, have ever traveled in other parts of the world, um, uh, you you may um, uh, encounter a situation where they ask you not to put the toilet paper um, into the toilet. Um, and the sanitary wipes, even flushable ones, are a little bit like that. Our sewage systems and our sewage collection systems were designed and built and implemented really before the advent of these sanitary wipes. And they tend to cause clogs uh, in the sewer systems. In fact, almost all the clogs in sewer systems these days, it's not by like fats or greases, it's by these sanitary um, wipes. And during this time, especially during this COVID crisis, we, we 
again, are trying to protect our workers and uh, we'd rather not have to deploy them to uh, fix large sewage uh, clogs in the streets. Um, and I'm sure your listeners wouldn't want sewage backing up in their, in their homes either. So it's really just not good for the sewage collection system. And so that's why um, we're asking people to flush them. Great. Thank, thanks so much for that explanation, because it always helps when we make these choices to understand the reason why, besides someone just saying, listen, don't do it. So thanks again. One of the reasons, again, I wanted to do this was that there are a lot of things people are worried about and have a right to be worried about, to have stress about right now. And so part of this reason for this podcast then was to help relieve some of the stress in a certain area. And, and um, there are certainly things to worry about, but it seems from you right now in terms of our water supply, uh, it's not necessarily an area that we should be stressing about right now. Um, any last uh, words or, or advice to the public um, that you'd like to convey? Yeah, a, a couple of things. And, and Kurt, you're, you're in, in public policy, and we, we all think um, uh, about these issues um, deeply. Um, and let me just share um, with the listeners what I shared with the dedicated employees who work with me as I was basically sending them home for uh, an indeterminate period of time. And I, this is what I told them. When used sure. as an ingredient in hand washing, our product, water, is one of the best defenses against this virus. In fact, the introduction of clean water and sanitation has been identified as the greatest medical advance in history. Unlike so many items we've seen fly off the store shelves this weekend, tap water remains immune from hoarding and price gouging. What greater mission can we serve at such a time as this? Let's remember that each of our actions during this pandemic serve this public health mission. So for each of your listeners, I just wanna say we hear you and we understand your very real concerns during this crisis. We're doing our part to provide you safe water, um, but this is a collective action problem. Will you do your part by helping us control this pandemic too? So stay home and stay safe. Thanks. This podcast is a production of the UC Riverside School of Public Policy. I'm Maddie Bunting. Till next time.